started a long time ago with, with just an idea in Scott Brugman's mind. And then Scott Brugman and Todd Ballard sat in a living room praying one night, God, show us a place to start a church. And they ended up in the back corner of this creepy theme park. And then they let a few of us join forces with them. And then there was 12, 15 of us sitting in a circle in the back corner of this theme park praying, God, is it possible that we could be used to do great things? Is it possible that this church family could make a difference in this world and that people could go to heaven because we're here? We had a ton of conversations about, um, is this gonna work? Can this work? Um, all of us are working one or two jobs to try to do this thing and in, a, in you know in a theme park. I mean, it's a, just an odd place. It's not where you choose to be. We had a lot of doubts and late nights and tough times. I mean, Scott and Sean and everybody had their moment where they almost lost it, and then we like we would bring them back. So that's been pretty standard over the last 11 years. And what's most taxing is, is just the, the ups and downs and the disappointments of, of what you think is going to happen. But really, God's at work in our hearts as a team. Like, what He wants to accomplish in our hearts is the most important thing. And, and He's got the church thing covered because Jesus leads the church. And, and we just have to be responsive to His leading. It was the place that God had, had designed for us sovereignly designed for us to become a church that that thousands of lives were changed where God changed my life and my kids lives and and thousands of others lives and you know families were able to establish traditions hundreds and thousands literally thousands have been baptized it just became it became home for us I believe and I see a church that raises up people that are so um, passionate about, about people, about accepting people, about loving people that, that don't have a place to be loved and bringing home prodigals. And, and because of that, it's, if that's the vision of our church and if that's the goal of our church, our church will, will never stop because that's Jesus' heart. We know the end result, that God wins. And so for us to get on the field and run some plays, that's what I want to do with my life. I hope God will, will continue to use us and will continue to grow and, and reach more people. May we never forget this moving forward because we will lose our heritage and we will lose what's special here. God has done all of these amazing things way more in spite of us than because of us. You understand that, right? Well, hello. That's nah, not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it. I don't know how we're doing everywhere else, but that's not going to cut it here. All right, I'll tell you what we're going to do. So for every single location, I'm going to count to three, and then I would ask at every location when I hit three that you guys make some noise as if you are actually excited 
to be in church, all right? And if I know all of our campuses the way I think I do, both of our Guide Behind Bars campuses, I know you're the smallest of the two campuses. I have a feeling you'll also be the loudest of all of our campuses. But let me hear you here and at every single campus. At the count of three, would you make some noise like you want to be in church today? One, two, three. That's nice right there. You know, we have been doing so much reminiscing, um, knowing that Heritage Square is going away, uh, that recently um, me and some of the guys were texting and we were like, someone said, man, how many hours do you think we've spent in a theme park, like of our life? And I texted back and I said, there's no doubt we are technically carnies, every (laughs) single one of us. Well, hey, welcome to Red Rocks Church at all of our locations. We're so glad you're with us. And if you're watching or listening somewhere online, we're glad you're with us as well. We're in this series called Heritage. We're talking about how we started in a theme park. And this theme park, Heritage Square, has now evicted us. So we are leaving the theme park. And throughout this series, really what we're doing is having some fun. We're reminiscing. But we're talking about what lessons we're going to take with us. So as I get going today, um, I want to start by sharing some of my personal heritage. Now, if you've been at the church for several years, you know some of this stuff. Um, And if you were even at the Red Conference recently, you've heard some of this stuff. But most of the church, um, let me share a little bit of my heritage with you. If you didn't already know, um, I come from the metropolitan area of Wichita, Kansas. Yes, it is. It is a strongly desired place globally, really. Um, It is the home of NASCAR t-shirts, the mullet, and chewing tobacco. That's sort of what we're famous for. In fact, I had my first chew when I was five. Um, Not because I went looking for it either. I wasn't like trying to be sneaky. No, my kindergarten bus driver gave me Copenhagen. Not long cut, Copenhagen, okay, at five. And then I had, so I had my first chew at five and I had my first puke from chew about 10 minutes later. We do things differently in Kansas, I'm telling you. We park our cars in the lawn, nobody thinks twice, all right? We park our family members in the lawn, nobody thinks twice. True story, I grew up with my grandma living in our backyard in a trailer. See, don't judge me. You don't know the things I've been through, okay? You don't know what it's like to walk outside and 30 feet into your backyard is grandma on her porch in her nightgown, because that was it every day, okay? (laughs) one time I was in the backyard. It was me and two buddies from my baseball team. I was 10 years old and we were having a pretend world series. All right. And if you've, if you've grown up playing baseball at all, you've been in this exact same scenario. Okay. It's world series game seven, bottom of the ninth, two outs, score is tied full count. Right. And you're up at bat. And so that was the scenario. And I hit the game winning home run of the world series. It was unbelievable. So me and the other two 10-year-olds, we're clapping, we're high-fiving, we're yelling, we're just being 10, all right? That's what we were doing. When all of a sudden, a very short distance away, we hear the loudest noise that we'd ever heard in our 10 years of living. I'm talking, boom, we look. There's grandma on the porch of her trailer firing a 12-gauge shotgun into the air. This is real, all right? There are two grown men somewhere in this world in their 40s still going to counseling over the day that this happened. Grandma, what are you doing? She goes, shut the up. That was how she decided to tell us to be quiet. 
was to just fire some rounds into the air. And that wasn't all that uncommon, all right? That's the kind of stuff that I grew up with. And at one point, my grandma, many years later, she found out that she was about to pass away. So we started having very serious conversations, as you would guess, right? And so one day she said to me, she said, she said, Sean, she said, I lived a good life, right? And, and you know what she was doing. I know what she was doing. The same thing you and me would be doing if we found out that we didn't have very much time to live, right? We would we'd be looking back, wouldn't we? And be wondering, like, did I do something meaningful, something important? Did I matter, right? Is anybody going to care that I'm gone? That's what she was doing. And she's probably thinking of her funeral because she knew it was right around the corner. And, and truth is, we don't like to think much about our own funerals, right? We just sort of live life and sort of pretend we're going to live forever. That's just how we do. But if we think about our funeral, truth is, like, we all want the same thing. We want a packed room, and we want a long line to the microphone. That's what we hope for. We want to think, you know what, I did something so meaningful, so significant, something with so much purpose. I affected so many people's lives that surely if I had my funeral, like the room would be packed. And if somebody up front said, hey, we're going to open up the mic and you just come on up here and share, um, not if you knew this person or had a laugh, but if they like really mattered to you, if they did something that really impacted your life, why don't you come on up here and share? And we hope that there's a real long line, right? Because we've, we've impacted people with our lives. That's, that's what we hope for because we all crave purpose. And so that's, that's what my grandma was doing. And as she was asking me about her life, I'm standing there and I'm thinking back of the 25 years that I've known grandma and what do I remember most? And you know what? The very first thing I thought of, the thing I remembered most... <laughs> The day she made some noise. Red Rocks Church, we will be remembered for making some noise for the kingdom of God and how it affects people. Whether or not we live that way will determine how you and me will be remembered. Same thing. We're called to make some noise. We're called to love some people, serve some people, share our story, share our church, help people find Jesus however God leads us. We're supposed to make sure that people know we're here and that they know who our God is. That's who we're called to be. We're called to make some noise. And whether or not we do, will completely dictate how we're remembered someday. Let me give you an example. <clears throat> First Bible I ever had, someone gave me a, a, a Max Licato Bible. And so on, on part of the page, it was the text. And on part of the page, it was his commentary. And I was reading one of the verses that we're going to look at today. And over in the side, he started talking about this, how you're going to be remembered stuff. And he said, part of maybe why Jesus set it up the way he did is because not only do we get to play a part in someone's eternity being changed, but we get to have an effect on people's lives in a way that gives us real purpose and helps us be remembered as people who live great lives. And then he started asking some questions. He said, can you name the last three Mr. Olympians, Mr. Universe? Can you name the last three Miss Americas, 
And if there's a single guy here who's like, I absolutely can, and I can tell you their birthdays. We have a prayer corner for you before you leave. Can you tell me who the last three Pulitzer Prize winners were? Can you tell me the three richest people, not even in the whole city, right? Just your zip code. Can you tell me the three richest people in your zip code? And for most of us, the answer to all those questions, no. And he said, isn't it ironic? These are the smartest, best looking, richest people around. And we could care less. Yet these are the things some of us spend our entire lives trying to get. Listen, I've been to a lot of funerals because of what I do. And I've never once heard somebody run up to the mic and go, let me tell you what a difference this person made in my life. Because listen to how much they had in their bank account. Never heard it. Let me tell you what a difference this person made in my life. You should have seen what they drove. just doesn't happen because the truth is at the end of the day, nobody cares about that stuff. But if I were to ask you, tell me the name of the person who helped you find Jesus. I got that one, right? Someday if I outlive him, I'll be running to the mic at Eric Park's funeral and talking about how he sacrificed for me and prayed for me and stayed in my life and invited me to church and I'm changed because of it eternally. If I were to say, tell me somebody who took the time to pray with you and sit with you and be with you in the middle of a tragedy, never forget it. Tell me the name of the person who got crazy generous and helped you in times of need, who sacrificed for you. You'll never forget them. See, these are the things that matter. These are the things that one day we'll get to look back and go, look what I got to be a part of. These are the kinds of things that cause people to line up for the mic at a funeral. It's funny or maybe tragic that we live our life chasing so many other things. See, we're called, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are called to make some noise in this life for the kingdom of God. It'll change the way we live. It'll change the, bit, the way we'll be remembered And it will allow us to be used by God to change other people's eternities. It's how we're called to live. It was the very first thing that Jesus ever said to his disciples. Listen to what he said. Matthew 4, 19. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. From the get, from the jump, he said, if you follow me, let me tell you what life's going to be like. You're going to take everything I've done in your life and you're going to turn around and you're going to share it with somebody else. And it'll change your life in the process. It'll change their life in the process. It'll change people's eternities. That's what your life's going to be about. And listen, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, can you understand how badly he wants to connect with you? He died on a cross to pay the price for your sins. And today, if you put your faith in him, He will not only change everything about your life, but you'll get heaven forever. And he cares so much about you finding that out and experiencing that, that he has commissioned all of us to live our lives in such a way, not to condemn, not to judge, not to yell at, but to love people, serve people, give to people in such a way that you would find that out. 
That's what Jesus cared about most. That's the first thing he said to his disciples. And it's what he taught about with like crazy passion. If you go read Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three stories in a row. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. And each one of them, it's about the importance of lost people connecting with the Father, with God, and how we're supposed to play a role in that. And he's so passionate about it that he teaches it three times in a row. It's the only time he ever does that. My wife knows if she really wants me to get something, three times. <laughs> Tell me three times. In fact, she got on stage, stood right here a few weeks ago, and she told some tall tales about me leaving my children at one of the campuses on the other side of town and coming home Christmas Eve without them. And some of you have been like, did that really happen? Look, it was a long time ago. I, it's fuzzy. Okay? It was a long time ago. I don't, I don't remember everything. But I can tell you one thing. I bet you she told me twice. I bet you she told me twice that I was supposed to take the kids home. Had she really cared about these children, she'd have told me three times. But she didn't. And so I'm as disappointed in her as you are, quite frankly. See, Jesus just knew, I got to tell them three times. I got to make sure they get this. The first thing he said. It's what he taught with passion. It's the last thing he said. It's the last thing he said before he went back up into heaven. Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. How, God? How in the world are we supposed to do that? Here it is. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He says, I'm calling you to go make some noise for the kingdom of God. Go love some people. Go share with some people. Go share your story. Share your church. Go love. Go serve. Go give. Go get involved. And he says, and here's how. Here's how it's going to be possible. Because I'm going with you. I'll equip you. I'll give you the strength. I'll show you who. I'll show you how. I'll even give you the words to say at the right time. Just go. Go make some noise. I'll take care of everything else. That's what he said. So right now, at every single location, I want to invite you to do an exercise with me. <clears throat> I want you to think of one person in your life that doesn't know God yet. One person. Maybe it's somebody at your school, longtime friend, a new friend, somebody at work, somebody at the gym, someone in your family, in your neighborhood. Can you just think of one for a second? Just one person who hasn't connected with God yet. Because we don't need to go to Africa to make some noise for the kingdom of heaven. Now, as a church family, we're getting to partner with some amazing organizations and share the good news in Africa. But that doesn't mean every single one of us are called to Africa. And if we don't go to Africa, then we don't go share the gospel. It's supposed to start where we live. Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 10, 5 through 7. Jesus sent his 12 harvest hands out with this charge. Don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. 
And don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom of God is here. See, I know that so many people, what, what we tend to do is we spend all this time in church, right? And then we start praying these huge prayers like, God, I want to change the world. God, help me change the world. I want, I want thousands of people to come to you because of me. Use me to change the world. And I wonder if for some of us right now, he's saying, why can't you pray, use me to change your neighborhood? Why can't you pray, use me to change your family? Because that's where it starts. It starts where God has us right now at this stage of life. And so think of that one person. What if, I mean, what if, what if God did the miraculous? And look, I know how it works because for a whole bunch of you, you thought of one person and then as soon as you thought of them, you started thinking of all the reasons why it just can't happen though, right? I mean, you don't know what this person's been through and you don't know how far away from God is and they've been hurt and they had a thing and then the deal and then this happened, you just don't understand. And there, there's no, look, I know, I know, okay? We've all got everybody else's heart figured out. What if, because God does miracles, right? What if God used you to reach that one person and he did a miracle and he changed their life? And he softened their heart instantly. And he overwhelmed them with his love and with his goodness, and they got it. And it started to change their life and their family and their job and their perspective and their situation and their eternity. Think of the excitement that you would start to experience just being a part of that. Think of the purpose and the joy. Like, think of the energy that that would bring to your life. Just getting to be a little, little, little part of that. See, this isn't just fancy church talk. Living this way will change our lives in the process. It'll change the way we'll be remembered someday. And it will allow us to be a part of God using us to change other people's eternities. Now, truth is, that all sounds pretty good. That sounds good. And as soon as you started thinking about the one person, like I said, you almost right at that same second started thinking about all the reasons why it can't happen. And then you've got me yelling in a microphone going, and it should be you. And you started automatically thinking of why that's not true also. Isn't that, isn't that right? I mean, that's how, yes, that person needs God. You should be the one. Mm -mm. <clears throat> and I'll tell you why. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't know the Bible well enough. I haven't been saved long enough. I haven't been in church long enough. I still screw up all kinds of things. Like, it shouldn't be me. I'm just me. There's, there's a couple guys in Acts chapter 4 that would have had to fight through the exact same mind games. A couple fishermen. Uneducated, untrained fishermen. Peter and John. And I want to challenge you, go read Acts 3 and 4 on your own this week. You'll get the whole story. But basically, they get this opportunity to talk about Jesus, and they take it. And as they start talking about Jesus, people start sort of gathering around, listening. And the political leaders and the religious leaders, they catch wind of this, and they are fired up. They do not want this happening, because if you remember your Bible... 
or just history. It was the religious leaders and the political leaders that sort of led the charge to crucify Jesus. So they can't have people running around now saying he was the son of God. That doesn't, that doesn't look good for them. So they're going to go shut this down. They're going to shut Peter and John down. And as they approach them to do just that, they find themselves oddly inspired by these two fishermen. Um, Here, watch this. Acts 4.13. They couldn't take their eyes off them. Peter and John standing there, so confident, so sure of themselves. Their fascination deepened when they realized these two were laymen with no training in scripture or formal education. Excuse me. They go to shut these two down and all of a sudden they're like sort of amazed. Like who are these two? They're nobodies. They don't, they're not spiritual leaders. They don't have a big history in this stuff. They haven't been doing it their whole life. Like, but look how confident they are. And I was reading that and I thought, how is that possible? Because I know for me, I don't feel that confident. Sometimes like I just, I feel like God's calling me to reach out to that person. And I don't know about you, but I feel a lot of things and confidence isn't usually one of them. How are they so confident? And then it hit me. That's what happens when we know that the father's on our side. Confidence is a byproduct. That's what happens when we just know the Father's on our side. And see, I think these guys, it wasn't that long ago that they just heard Jesus say, I'm calling you to go make some noise. I'm calling you to go make a difference in somebody's life. And Jesus said what? And I'm going with you. And I think they just believed it. And they were confident because they knew the Father was on their side. When I was in third grade, I was on that same bus. I'm going to write a story book about this bus one of these days. (laughs) Same bus driver, Conway. Never forget him. Guy gives you a chew at five. You just don't forget that guy. (laughs) Same bus driver. This time he assigns us seats. He decides that we're all out of control. He assigns us seats on the bus. I rode the bus 30 minutes to school and 30 minutes home. I was one of the last kids to get dropped off because I was the furthest away from the school. So I spent a lot of time with Conway. All right, so he assigns us seats, and I get paired up with a high school student named Jeff. Jeff was a bully. Jeff, if you ever see this, you know that's true, and I still want to talk to you about it. (laughs) And I got people all around the church with little earpieces and guns, so what are you going to (laughs) do? Sorry, I'm really getting sidetracked. Jeff influenced me. So... So Jeff was a bully, all right? And, and I don't have time for this story, but I literally still have a scar across my forearm because of Jeff, all right? So one day I'm bringing home a folder full of papers. It was like at the end of a semester maybe, and third grade, and Jeff takes out some markers and starts writing all over the papers, F words, cuss words, all the words, but the big one right across the front just writing cuss words and all this stuff and Xing stuff out and saying mean things. And so I take these papers home and obviously my parents are less than happy, right? And my dad, my dad says, who did this? I said, I don't want to talk about it, dad. Who did this? Jeff. You mean Jeff down the street, Jeff? Yeah. Get in the car. 
I'm telling you, we do things different in Kansas, all right? <laughs> we drive down to Jeff's house. My dad goes up to the door. I'm standing, dragging me with him. <clears throat> I was thinking of how it probably should have went down. Right? It probably should have went something like, you know, hey, how you doing? Maybe a nice, not right. Hey, you doing? I'm Mr. Johnson. Yeah, yeah, hi, hi, glad, great to meet you. Yeah, I can't believe we haven't met. We live this close. Yeah, yeah, listen, the kids had a little altercation, and I thought, maybe, not even close. That's not even close to how this went down. My dad goes to the door, literally. Jeff's dad comes to the door. Jeff's dad was a little guy. My dad's kind of looking down at him. No introduction, no handshakes. My dad's holding this stack of papers with cuss words across the front. Jeff's dad comes to the door. My dad looks at him. He goes, you see this? Jeff's dad doesn't have a clue what's going on right now. Okay. The poor guy doesn't have a clue. You see this? He's like, yeah. My dad takes this whole binder of papers and he goes, boom, throws it right in his face. Papers going everywhere. I'm kind of thinking like, I'm kind of hoping to keep the artwork, but now, I understand you're making a point. Do your thing, Dad. You're making a point. No, I get it. I get it. So, so he takes this whole thing. Boom. Papers fall down. My dad goes, your boy ever touches my boy again. I'm coming back here and I'm hurting you. You understand me? This poor guy. He goes, mm-hmm. let's go, Sean. I am not kidding. As we were getting in the car, I heard Jeff's dad beating him inside that house. I could hear, like, get over here. (laughs) Okay. Now, can I tell you that the next day when I got on that bus, oh, I had some swagger. (laughs) What's up, Jeff? Why don't you hold my backpack, Jeff? Mm. I had so much confidence. Nothing could stop me. Why? Because I knew that the father was on my side and nobody was messing with the father. See, Jeff can't touch me now. That's what Jesus was saying to every single one of us. I'm not kicking you out saying, go reach lost people. I've already packed the bags. I'm coming with you. And because I'm coming with you, you can't be stopped. That's why these guys were so confident. That's what's supposed to give us confidence today. Peter and John understood that. And the leaders said, we got to shut this down. Verse 17, but so that it doesn't go any further, let's silence them with threats so they won't dare to use Jesus's name ever again with anyone. Let's silence them with threats. And Red Rocks Church, that's Satan's plan for us. Listen, it's not a game. Heaven and hell are real. God's real. The devil, Satan, the the, the evil one, the enemy, whatever you want to call him, he's real. And God has a plan for our life, and so does Satan. And he wants to steal and kill and destroy all hopes of us being significant in this lifetime. And he knows that if you've already given your life to Jesus, he can't take your salvation away. So you know what his hope is for you, his plan is for you? That you would stay saved and quiet. That's his hope. 
Just stay saved and quiet. Pray all day long. Read the Bible all day long. Go to 12 church services a week. Sing songs in your car till your head pops off. Just stay quiet when you get around everybody else. He'll be happy with that. See, Satan can live with this. At our funeral, he can live with somebody coming up to the mic and going, let me tell you how much he loved God. Oh, he loved God. As long as nobody else runs up to the mic and says, because of him, I do too. As long as that doesn't happen, at this point, Satan's happy. If he can just keep us saved and quiet, he'll be happy. Peter and John threatened. That's what Satan will do. He'll threaten us, right, with little whispers in our ear. Shh. Don't say anything. Be that way around church people, not over here. Shh. You don't know what to say anyways. You'll probably make it worse. And what will they think? What will they say? Shh. Just stay saved and quiet. And the problem is, is we do sometimes, don't we? These guys are threatened with their lives. Verse 18, they called them back and warned them that they were on no account ever again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John spoke right back. Whether it's right in God's eyes to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. As for us, there's no question we can't keep quiet about what we've seen and heard. You can say whatever you want. You can talk about us however you want. You can put us in prison. You can threaten to beat us. You can threaten to kill us. But I'll tell you what you can't do. You can't keep me quiet because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and I've been called to make some noise for the kingdom of heaven and that's what I'm gonna do. And that's where it starts for us. It's just deciding it's just deciding, okay, God, you can use me. I don't have to be smart enough. I don't have to be spiritual enough. I don't have to be educated enough. I don't have to have been a Christian for a long enough time. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to have all the answers. But I'm willing, and I won't be quiet. That's where it starts. It's who we are as Christ's followers. It's who we're called to be. It's who we are as a church. We say it all the time. We exist to make heaven more crowded. That's who we are as a church. It's who we've always been. It's our heritage. In fact, before we ever had our first service in 2005, it was just a handful of us, and we would meet on Thursday nights in the back corner of this nearly abandoned theme park, and we would just pray. God, we don't know what else to do because we don't have any qualifications. So could you just do a miracle? And could you help us build a church family, not because we're good enough, but because you are? Could you help us build a church family that would really make a difference in this city, that would really make some noise for the kingdom of heaven? And one night, Brian Zabel, you saw him in the video before the message started. I call him BZ. BZ is one of the founders of this church one of the pillars of this place. He's been serving us as a church family behind the scenes faithfully and sacrificially for 11 years. One day he said, I have an idea. He said, what if we got some candles? Some of those little like 10 hour candles. And what if we gave them out to everybody 
in our little group here. And we just said, you know what? When you start praying for lost people, would you just light this candle? And as you watch this candle burn down, it'll be a visual of the kind of time that you have spent with just you and God interceding for the people that you love, for the people that are around you, for the people in this city. And so we did. And we handed out, I think, 15 candles, little red candles. And we just said, would would you guys just join us? And let's just pray for lost people. Let's pray for God to do the miraculous. Let's pray that he would use us to do it. And so I'm going to ask you now to do the same thing. At every single campus, when you leave, you'll be given a red candle, a 10-hour red candle. And I want to ask you, would you join with this church family And start praying for lost people in this city, in your family, at your work, at your school, in your neighborhood. And as you light that candle and just spend some time praying, you can just watch it burn down. And it'll be a reminder of the kind of time that you have put in between you and God interceding for the lost. And if that's just too weird for you, then I just ask, will you take one of these candles and just put it someplace that you'll see it every single day. And every time you see it, say a prayer right then. Not, that's a good intention. No, right then. Just say a prayer. God, give me the courage to reach out to that person. Give me the boldness to reach out to this person. Do a miracle. And so as you leave today and you take one of these candles, and I want to ask you to get ferocious with this thing. Seriously. Aggressive. We've got two weeks till Easter. Can you imagine... If 10,000 of us together for the next two weeks prayed every single day, God help us to be a part of seeing lost people saved. Can you imagine the kind of horsepower that's behind that in the spiritual realm? So would you take one of these? And would you every day start praying, God help me to be a part of reaching this city. Show me who I can invite to come with me at Easter. Save my family, my friends, my neighbors. That's where it starts for us. Just saying, God, I'll be used. I'll be the one. Band, you guys can come on up. <clears throat> I told the, uh, the young adults at the Red Conference about a week and a half ago, I said, you know, this is one of my favorite topics to talk about, like us being used by God to reach lost people. It's who we are as a church. But sometimes I get nervous to talk about it again because I think how many times can I say the same thing in a different way? Like, that's who we're called to be. We're called to reach this city. And I don't know how else to say it, right? And and so I was literally on my knees praying, God, just could you help me transfer this, this passion that you've, for whatever reason, put in my heart? Would you help me to share it with the church? And I... And I had this thought, and I don't know if this was God dropping this in my mind. It was just all of a sudden I thought of it because I'm a dad. I don't know. But I'd like to think it was God. I just don't want to put him on the spot in case it's a bad analogy. But, (laughs) you know, I always think about this from our perspective, right? Like how tough it is for us and how nerve-wracking and how much we got going on. And and I thought, I I wonder what this is like from his perspective. And I had this thought, you know, I have three little boys. And I thought, what if our youngest son, Ashton, the seven-year-old, what if he went missing? And not for like half an hour, which happens daily, right? (laughs) But for like 24 hours. You know, 
you hear stories, but I thought for the first time, like, if my seven-year-old was missing for 24 hours, like, my world would crash. Nothing else matters. Job doesn't matter. Church doesn't matter. Money doesn't matter. Family problems don't matter. Nothing matters. All that matters is I got to find Ashton. He's missing. He must be so scared. And I thought, what if I went into my living room and the other two boys were on the couch and one of them's playing an iPad that I gave him and one of them's got his phone out and he's watching the TV that I paid for. And I said, boys, you're not going to believe this. Ashton's missing. He's been missing for 24 hours. I need you. Let's go. Please come help me find him. And if they said back, hold on, Dad. So busy right now. All this stuff that you've given us, we're so busy. We don't have time. Like, I can't even fathom what that would do to me as a dad. And I'd be so hurt and so mad. But I thought more than anything else in the world, I'd be heartbroken. Like, don't you get it, kids? Ashton's missing. And you're using the blessings I've given you as an excuse to not come help me find him? And I thought, oh, God, forgive me. Because I'm so blessed. Giving me so much. And have I let the blessings that you've given me be part of the excuse why I don't live this way? Jesus got real serious about this because it matters, because it's real, because it's not a game. And if we choose to live this way, we don't have to know how it's going to turn out. and We don't have to be equipped. We just say, I'm willing. It will change the way we live our lives. It'll change the way people will remember us someday. And it will change eternity. Not because we're good enough, because he is. Because the Father's on our side. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, I thank you so much for everything that you do for us. We're so incredibly blessed, like crazy blessed. God, I'm sorry that I have let all these blessings be part of the reason why I don't live the way you've called me to live sometimes. And I pray, God, that you would help us as individuals, as families, and as a church family live in such a way that one of these days we look back and we go, look at the miraculous things we got to be a part of. Not because we were good enough, because we just said, I'll go. I'm in. Use me. And so, God, I pray that you would give us boldness, that you would give us the courage to even start praying that prayer. And as you start identifying people in our lives that you would give us the guts to go and share and to give and to serve and to love. And I pray, God, that you would do miraculous things through this church family. And that there would be a ripple effect of salvations that would literally carry around this world. Because a whole bunch of people at one time said, you can use me. 
God, help us be that church. Help us be that family. Help us be that person. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, at all of our locations, would you guys stand up? Let's just invite God to continue to speak to us about our own lives and situations, and let's worship him for how good he is, all right?